Welcome to the Body Competence Podcast, exploring what it means to be and raise body competent humans. I'm your host, Michelle, and I can't wait to share today's episode with you. Today's episode of the Body Competence Podcast is a treat. I'm talking to registered dietitians Emily Sylvester and Cha-Cha Miller of the startup Mother of Fact about the health of birthing people in the United States and the platform they've developed to provide timely, individually tailored, culturally sensitive, professional nutrition guidance to people who are in various stages of their reproductive journeys. They have generously offered to open up their platform to listeners of the Body Competence Podcast, and I'm going to tell you all about how to get access to their services at the end of this episode. Mother of Fact is currently only open to birthing people in certain healthcare systems, so this is an incredibly unique opportunity, and you'll learn why during this episode. Emily Sylvester is the CEO and founder of Mother of Fact and has worked as a pediatric registered dietitian and board-certified lactation consultant for over 12 years, serving birthing people, NICU babies, and infants and toddlers who need help to grow and thrive by providing nutrition care in telehealth programs, homes, schools, and outpatient clinics to thousands of families. She is the president of the Massachusetts Breastfeeding Coalition and earned the 2018 Recognized Young Dietitian of the Year Award through the Academy of Nutrition and dietetics. Her experience managing physicians and support staff in large pediatric and women's health clinics gives her a deep understanding of the value of appropriate nutrition care using telehealth. You will also hear Cha-Cha Miller on this podcast. She is a registered dietitian specializing in maternal, pediatric, and family nutrition. And you might have heard her on the last episode of the Body Competence Podcast, which I highly recommend if you haven't already listened. Cha-Cha has a passion for health equity as her work is focused on bridging the gap in health disparities between historically marginalized communities of color and other races by making nutrition education available, accessible, and easy to understand. Cha-Cha currently works as the lead dietitian for Mother of Fact, and she also manages her growing social media platform at It's the Cardamom. She is a military wife, mom of two girls, and her favorite food is tacos. You will hear Emily Sylvester talking first on this podcast, and Cha-Cha will jump in afterwards. Let's dive in. Welcome, Cha-Cha Miller and Emily Sylvester. I am so, so, so excited to have you guys on the Body Confidence Podcast today to talk about a super important topic of maternal and infant health. According to a CDC fact sheet on pregnancy-related deaths that comes from what I've learned are maternal mortality review committees in 36 states, 84% of maternal deaths between 2017 and 2019 were preventable. Preventable, 84%. And that's about 840 deaths, right? Because there were about 1,000 deaths, I think, during that period. Preventable. And these deaths are impacting different communities differently. What the hell is going on? Tell us about the problem of maternal and infant health in the U.S. Yeah, thank you for having us on. And what the heck is happening is a great question. And I wish it was an easy question to answer. I mean, looking at those statistics, just super high level. Yeah, in the last 20 years, maternal health death rates, maternal death rates have doubled, where Black women are actually up to three times more likely to die during childbirth than their white counterparts. And actually in New York City, I saw a study maybe um, earlier this year that was like, there was stats up to 12 times more likely. So there's a significant 
um, problem going on in the care and access to care for moms and babies across the U.S. And, and looking at babies just specifically for a second here, um, the March of Dimes just released their 2023 stats as well. And collectively, the United States scored a grade D when it comes to infant care mortality and morbidity, mm. meaning that um, preterm births uh, consist of 10.4% of all births in the U.S. So this is not something that is about moms and the lives of moms, but also the babies and long-term lifeline effects to their health and wellness. Can you link for us, so preterm birth is bad because why? Preterm birth is bad because in the last stages of pregnancies, there's a ton of things that go on within the development of the infant. When we think about lungs and putting on weight, um, and building, you know, immune system. All, a lot of that stuff happens in the last series of the, the third um, trimester. And so when a baby is born early, not only do those things not get done appropriately, but, but actually the birth and what happens in birth and birth trauma is also exacerbated looking at um, mm. what happens during the birth process, whether it's C-section, whether it's other things that happen. So that also increases risk to the baby. And then looking postpartum, um, breastfeeding and infant feeding difficulties are more likely to occur with a preterm baby. So everything that I just mentioned is kind of compiled for for these um, babies. And not to mention, I mentioned the word trauma. I mean, we all have our ideal series of events in our heads on like how our births are going to look. Um, and so mentally, it can be really hard on mom and baby as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you brought up the statistic that Black women are significantly more likely to be in these situations than their white counterparts. So that means that we're having black babies who are born into black communities. That's compounding the uh, like the negative effects at at birth. We're we're starting kids and families out and these are already often lower resourced neighborhoods, right? And lower resourced communities. So what is the role of of financing of access of racism in in this picture. I'm glad you brought this up. And you mentioned so black women are around 3 times more likely to die during childbirth according to the CDC. But things like income or education are not necessarily protective mm. factors, which is super interesting but makes it even scarier. Like I'll give the example of Serena Williams. She is one of the wealthiest, most famous, most successful athletes ever. And she had a near-death experience during her, um, her first pregnancy, her first birth, because as a Black woman, her care team simply did not listen to her. She felt in her body that something was wrong. She was asking for additional tests. She was asking for additional intervention, and no one was listening to her. Mm -hmm. Now, Serena Williams, she's obviously a powerhouse. So, you know, she was able to advocate for herself. Not everyone has that ability. Not everyone has that privilege. So that's kind of where the difference come in, comes in. And, um, you know, even women who, you know, Black women who 
maybe, you know, of a higher status economically or educationally, they still may not have the understanding that they can advocate for themselves just because of how our society was built and just because, you know, how things work. Um, Racism in healthcare is real. The Association of American Medical Colleges reported out on a, um, it's an older study, a 2016 study that showed up to 40% of first and second year medical students believe Black people have thicker skin. Yes. That is not a thing. (laughs) Which is why having a provider who sees you, who will listen to you, who understands you, who is on your side, that's why that matters immensely. Because even as of 2016, this myth that is completely unfounded in anything real persists. And that's insane. They think that our pain threshold tolerance is higher, which is just untrue. Mm -hmm. So often in the medical setting, we go unheard. And it's, I mean, that is, you know, that is one of the biggest problems that we're facing, but it's not the only problem that we're facing because we're facing things like, you know, unequitable access to quality healthcare, inequitable access to food, Mm -hmm. to basic nourishment. Um, You know, a significant uh, part of the population, I believe it's one in eight families is food insecure. And that's, you know, that's meaning that they don't have enough food to meet their basic needs. But then when you consider pregnancy on top of that, a period of time with heightened nutritional needs, it's like, what do we do then? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much for for bringing all of that up. I'm I I know the study you're talking about. I think it was Sophie Trowalter from the University of Virginia who did a lot of that research on these misconceptions by by med students that is just really 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 disconcerting and creepy on it. Like frankly just really creepy. And so let's talk about I don't know if this is the right place to talk about culturally competent care. But I mean, that's clearly culturally incompetent. It's also just medically wrong, right? So mm-hmm. one of the things that that mother of fact we ha- we haven't even gotten to mother of fact yet. We're still we're still. <laughs> so so what you so you said that there are socioeconomic status does not actually predict who is dying in childbirth. Absolutely, it points to all of the all of the medical racism in the hospital, you know, pregnant people are going in advocating for themselves and simply not being heard. And then you did bring up that there are a lot of pregnant people who don't have access to food, to micronutrients, to the care that they need for a healthy pregnancy. Can you talk a little bit about that? Both of you guys are registered dietitians and you guys have launched this incredible app and and tech company. Tell us a little bit about the role that nutrition plays in pregnancy, in pre-pregnancy, in postpartum. Why, why do we care about this? Great question. So you guys kind of touched on this. So when we talk about pregnancy, it is a period of increased nutritional need. What does that mean for people if they don't have reliable access to food to meet just their basic needs? 
food insecurity during pregnancy is linked to things that you touched on previously. So low birth weight, it's linked to gestational diabetes, it's linked to um, low iron, which, you know, all impact the neurological as well as the musculoskeletal development of a fetus and the physical well-being of the birthing person. Bearing children, it puts a substantial strain on the body. Both of you are mothers. All three of us are mothers. So, you know, we understand what that means. You know, labor is called labor because it is work. (laughs) It is really, it is hard work. So let's think about it as an actual job. So if you at your job don't have the skills or tools that you need to be successful in your role, you know, there's going to be shortcomings. Projects won't get completed. Reports won't um, turn out as good as they could have been had you had the things that you needed. So it's the same for pregnancy. If individuals are not getting the nutrients they need, then their body cannot efficiently and effectively do the work of making the baby and protecting the birthing person. So, I mean, that's really like the simplest way to put it. It's like you don't have all the things you need. Nutrients inform a large part of the things that we need to, you know, create these small humans and allow them to flourish and thrive. That is so helpful. And again, so this is impacting different populations disproportionately. And Chacha, you and I touched on this a little bit in the first podcast episode that we did together, where we talked about places where there is simply not access to food. And it's not really an accident. It's the way that these systems have been developed. And so what is, tell us now about mother of fact and what role mother of fact is playing now in, or what the goal is for pregnant people. Yes. Let's, let's dive into that. So Chacha and I are with mother of fact, and we are a digital health platform that works with hospital systems and healthcare organizations and matches their fertility patients and pregnant people with appropriate culturally tailored and high touch nutrition care from registered dietitians. Now, In current clinical care, when high-risk incidence comes up, I think gestational diabetes was mentioned before, so a diagnosis or a risk assessment for gestational diabetes. And in recommendations, pregnant people are supposed to be referred to a dietitian to work on the holistic approach to managing and preventing preventing that condition that is nutrition and nutrition care. And dietitians are um, credentialed experts to provide high-touch, really tailored, and down-to-earth nutrition confidence. And unfortunately, within the healthcare systems today, that access to dietitians and that access to dietitians who look and talk and come from the cultures of the community are really under-resourced, under-referred, and under-accessed. So Mother Fact comes in and we're saying, hey, what if we use an app? And what if we hire a bunch of amazing dietitians? And so that when these worries, conditions, or nutrition empowerment is needed, which should be in the healthcare continuation, 
mother effect is there. So we take referrals and families and pregnant people uh, can get on-demand access to people like myself and Chacha and our other dietitians through secure text messaging and our cool and fun nutrition content and then really telehealth appointments. So video appointments that are happening way more frequently than the typical one-off in a hospital system if you know not at all which 90% of eligible individuals whether that's on Medicaid or public insurance aren't receiving access to dietitians when they can get insurance reimbursed care for that so not only are we empowering families with nutrition but we're also bringing value to healthcare systems saying hey guys there is potential out there and reimbursement, return on investment for you to staff dietitians through reimbursement codes, but not only that, to improve outcomes and start measuring more of the social determinants mm-hmm. of health that Chacha was, was talking about and provide the care that moms and families and birthing people are asking for. So that is us. I am a mom of three from New Hampshire. I worked for a large hospital system in Boston for many, many years and just got sick and tired of moms and babies, frankly, dying on me. And I don't have a business background. I don't know how to code five things, but figured out that we need to use technology to increase access and decrease um, inequitable care for nutrition. So how, when did, when did you come up with the idea for mother of fact? Has it been cooking for a long time? That's a great question. (laughs) Um, it had been cooking for quite some time in my practice and my clinical care. I was running a NICU follow-up clinic and a failure to thrive clinic and working with breastfeeding families as a lactation consultant, board certified lactation consultant as well. And I was about to go on maternity leave with my third baby back in 2019. And I was just like driving home one day from clinic, just like sobbing in my car. Maybe it was the hormones, but more likely it was like, I feel like I have the skills and families need me, but I can't do my job. And that feels really shitty. So I applied for a pitch contest, not even knowing what that was, Um, went and pitched (laughs) in front of an audience about my business idea, providing nutrition and breastfeeding care to families, gave birth five days later, and then entered their accelerator program for six months in my maternity leave, and Mother of Fact was born. So that was 2019, and I couldn't leave my clinical position to live in my mom's garage and eat ramen noodles. I had three kids at that point. And so from there, I got grant money. We figured out kind of a prototype to test this out being like, how do moms want to talk to us? When do they want to talk to us? How do I staff it? How do I bring value back to the healthcare system? Because everybody wants to save moms and babies. Mm -hmm. But there has to be an investment and there has to be a return tied to that or else us as business and healthcare workers that want to make a difference can't get anywhere. So We've been working on that, testing that, and are now launched with clinical centers now. That's incredible. And then how did you two get connected? <laughs> the universe brought us together. <laughs> um, it was kind of a, a random circumstance slash happening of events. So my background is as a WIC dietitian, and mm-hmm. a lot of registered dietitians, they 
start their careers at WIC with the intent of, you know, doing other things, the intent of going elsewhere. It's kind of like an entry level um, rite of passage for dietitians. But maternal and child health are my passions. So I basically intended to like work at WIC forever and work my way up the ranks and really change the system from the inside out and do all this advocacy and, you know, be the head person in charge of all of WIC. That was really like my path. But the WIC clinics that I worked for, they were contracted agencies. And so when it was time for me to go on maternity leave, there was, you know, just a a little um, disagreement, <laughs> I suppose. So I did end up leaving my role there with the intent to essentially do what WIC does in terms of providing nutrition support and care for, you know, this very specific population, but as an individual provider. Now, I will tell you, that is nearly impossible. (laughs) So I to like do that and make money to do that and make money as an individual provider. You know, I strongly feel and I'm so passionate that birthing people, children, they deserve this high touch one on one culturally appropriate nutrition care. But I didn't want anyone to have to pay for it because that is the problem. And that is one of the big sources of disparities in care and in access. You know, private practice dietitians are really expensive. And uh, as a as a business model, it was like pretty awful because I was like, okay, so I am going to provide nutrition care for moms and babies for free. And my family will be like living, you know, in a box, like on the corner, (laughs) because it's like, how, how am I making money? I don't know. So random happenings of events, someone I knew reached out to me super randomly, I wasn't actively looking for a role, I was trying to figure out how I would make this business model that makes no sense. Um, I was trying to figure out how it would, you know, somehow make me money while I was saving the world. So someone contacted me was like, hey, I have this random opportunity. Would you be interested? Uh, I was like, and she like had, she provided no background. She was just like, there's someone looking for a part-time dietitian. Do you want the info? And I was like, well, you know, it's a conversation I'll consider entertaining. Let me see what it's about. So she gives me like a random email address and she was like, reach out to this guy. So I was like, okay, this is weird. So I sent, you know, an intro email to this random guy. And he's like, oh, send me, you know, your resume, your information. So I did. And then he was the one who connected me with Emily. And when we first met, it was just kind of like the stars all aligned. And it was just like, oh, my gosh, I'm meeting someone who you know, is speaking my language, like we're passionate about the same things. Like literally on our first interview, I told her I would work for her for free. Like it was, you know, I I do not recommend that to anyone who was like ever interviewing for a job, like do not tell your employer you will work for them for free. But I I mean, that's how passionate I am about this. So we just kind of clicked (laughs) and, and hit it off. And, um, you know, we have a really good working synergy. I think we're very similar in terms of our working styles, but we still have different 
strengths and different skills that we can lean into. So, I mean, together, I am really convinced that we are going to change the world and we are going to change the face of maternal and infant care. And she is not working for free. Let, let me just clarify that. She's not working for free. <laughs> yes, I'm not working for free. I promise. <laughs> I also am convinced that you guys are going to change the world. I have no doubt about this. So what are some, so you're talking about like this incredibly culturally competent, high touch care that is just not available. I mean, for so many reasons, right? Like did dietitians like leave the field during COVID? Like, like how did, you know, so doing this all over an app, is a really great and convenient way to meet busy birthing people exactly where they are. What are some of the interventions that you have found that are just, that would like blow people's minds as to the simplicity and the impact? Yeah. I mean, honestly, having someone who intimately understands the unique nutritional needs of pregnant people And in addition to the unique challenges and obstacles of pregnancy, like navigating morning sickness, but still wanting to prioritize, you know, whole food nutrition, that takes so much attention, care, knowledge, and guidance. And, you know, most people don't have that. They don't have anyone to feel you know, supported in that, which is kind of why dietitians are so important and need to be integrated into the standard practice of care. I mean, that in addition to wellness, culture, health talk, whatever, whatever the kids are saying these days, it's like, so just misinformed. People are getting their information from uncredentialed individuals who, you know, just fit into society's standard of beauty and have a bunch of followers. People don't know how to nourish themselves during pregnancy and they the information isn't readily available, right? It's like the extent of, you know, most of the nutrition information that your OB will provide will be are are you taking your prenatal? You'll answer yes, no, maybe whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay, take your prenatal. Great. But it is so much more than that. It is so intricate. And just really having someone to kind of hold your hand and to make you feel confident in your choices. That's really, I think, what makes Mother of Fact so special. We meet our patients where they're at. We take into consideration their unique needs, their access, their transportation. We focus on nutrition by addition. We don't say, oh, cut out, you know, all the sweets, all the soda, all the whatever. It's like, let's let's talk about what is realistic for you. Let's talk about what makes sense for your lifestyle. You're a single mom. You live in a an area that's subject to food apartheid. You know, you have three kids, you have multiple jobs. Like what really makes sense for you to achieve your nutrition goals? In, in a way that is practical and sustainable. That's really what it is. And I'll, I'll just circle back to that first question. 
that we had started with, like, what is going on? What the heck is going on in maternal care right now? And so we're looking at, you know, biases in healthcare, but not only that, but limited access to quality healthcare that differs so much where you are in the region and location, but also, you know, the health disparities that we talked about, you know, which underscores the need for targeted interventions that, you know, Chacha is talking about, and then chronic health conditions, the rates of chronic health physicians, conditions, and the quality of our food these days um, is just leading to more and more complications, which leads to more, my, more and more biases, which leads to that 20-minute visit that you get with your OB and want to ask these questions that fit you. There's just no time or access there, which leads to more postpartum complications. So it's this big winding cycle. Mm. And, and for Mother of Fact or, or any of these organizations that we're partnering with who want to improve maternal care, it's looking at that access, but it's also providing value saying, what is this data that we're going to bring to the healthcare system going to do to help improve some of these outcomes, whether it's preterm birth, whether it's gestational diabetes, obesity, postpartum bleeding, hemorrhage, because we're talking to these families every day where we get stories all the time. You know, a birthing person goes in and says, you know, I don't feel well. I think I need to eat differently. And they're given a sheet of paper or... Mm-hmm. You know, it takes them five weeks right. to get referred and see a dietitian if they're referred at all. Um, and so it's really connecting those dots where there are dietitians out there, dietitians that are really good at their job. There's no ladder in clinical care. And so we're not paid very well by the hospital system. You don't move up the ranks. And so what do we do? We go to private practice. Are we business people? No. So it's hard for us to get to those patient populations that we really want to be helping. And then we look at the diversification of dietetics when I think less than 5% of dietitians are BIPOC. So really looking at rural areas or areas where we're seeing a ton of uh, immigration and immigrants come in hospitals can't access the diversity in dietitians. And so those are all the things that Mother of Fact is looking at universally and being like, man, how do we how do we take our solution and be a universal, you know, problem solver? Oh my gosh. You guys both said so many things that I want to come back to. First of all, is the dream to get mother of fact in the hands of every birthing person in the States? Because like and maybe abroad, I don't know, because it feels like that's where you're going. That is that is a big picture goal for sure. And specifically, I think we're doing a really hefty job of looking at the Medicaid population, looking at populations mm-hmm. who are covered within their pregnancy and the children are covered by Medicaid. And honestly, nutrition, medical nutrition therapy, so the billing codes and what we're covered for is only covered by possibly half of the U.S. So if you give birth in Alabama, Medicaid doesn't necessarily cover nutrition, which is stupid. Why would you not cover nutrition preventative services that can save you $20,000 for a preeclamptic or gestational diabetes pregnancy? But then if you give birth in Massachusetts, medical nutrition therapy is covered. And so it's just so confusing for the healthcare landscape right now not only to prioritize dietitians and find them, but to figure out how to heck to bill and code and get universal coverage because no hospital wants to have biases mm. in their care. Um, and so we're looking to solve that being like, okay, look at these underserved 
rural populations. Let's start there because if we can start making impact using our virtual care there, mm. you know, sky sky is is the limit. Cha-cha, you said that people don't know how to feed themselves during pregnancy. And I would argue, and I'm guessing you guys might be on board with this, that a lot of people don't know how to feed themselves outside of pregnancy. Totally agree. So, <laughs> okay. So I think jumping onto what both of you guys have been saying, where does that come from? So you said there are, you know, registered dietitians are a huge resource. Why don't we have access to them? Why aren't people, why aren't we able to to get your knowledge? I think it's kind of what Emily mentioned. Preventative care is not something in the U.S. we prioritize, right? It's like we... Mm-hmm. I guess, problem solve after the problem has already presented itself. But, you know, basic kind of nutrition care or, again, preventative nutrition care for people who might be at higher risk for certain conditions is just not something that we're looking at. And I think with Mother of Fact comes along a huge opportunity for advocacy and really working with these government agencies, really working with these insurance companies to make sure that registered dietitian medical nutrition therapy is covered by these services so that doctors and providers are more likely to make the recommendations. I think there's also something to say about the pay, the average pay of a U.S. dietitian. I think the average is, you know, what, maybe $50,000, probably even less than that. That's generous. But mind you, as of next year, every registered dietitian will be required to have a master's degree. So, We go to school for all this time. We spend all this money to come out in an entry-level position making, you know, $36,000 maybe. And then, you know, and it's thankless work. It's really thankless work. Like, you know, a lot of the individuals I know who are dietitians are just really passionate people who are figuring out how to make a difference. But it's like financially, this is not a job you go into to make millions at all. (laughs) Yeah, totally, totally. And I think that because I'm thinking about what Emily was saying about how we have nutrition not covered at all in a place like Alabama, covered in Massachusetts, and the biases that would get us to that system, right, That that would lead to that. What kind of education are you guys having to do as you pitch different systems? Because that seems pretty hefty if if you're kind of going into these, you know, you're walking into the hospital and you're like, hey, guys, this is a really, really some low hanging fruit. And they're like, oh, my God, but we need like an 80 foot ladder. <laughs> Emily, do you want to take this one? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love this question because this is a puzzle that Chacha and I are also trying to put together. You know, have a, we have a really amazing service. We know that birthing people love us and mm-hmm. love to have us in their back pocket. No, we don't want them to have to pay for it out of their pocket. Mm-hmm. And so providing that value to the healthcare systems is the puzzle we are trying to solve. And I think we're doing a pretty darn good job of it. And so when we're talking to a healthcare system, we say, hey, look, you know, what is your percentage of Medicaid patients? Um, what is the burden of that on you? Now, 50% of the population is covered by Medicaid. 50% of births in the U.S. Like, that's a huge number wow. of births. And so it's a huge 
I hate to use the word burden because no pregnant person is a burden, but when we look yeah. at return on investment and risk assessment, mm-hmm. hospitals have to kind of look at it like that. And so we say, if we can come in, we help you figure out how to get dietitians credentialed. You don't need to hire them. You don't need to manage licensing. You don't need to worry about diversity and access. We do all of that. They get the insurance reimbursement which is unrecognized or realized revenue for them right now. And then the third tier is being like, hey, what data are you collecting on nutrition? And it's so funny when we ask that question right now. They're like, oh, you know, we did this huge maternal care assessment because we're trying to decrease gestational diabetes. Our preterm birth rates are really high. And we didn't even think to look at food access or nutrition care. Now, this isn't every hospital system, but it's kind of a universal pattern. And so Mother of Fact goes in and says, well, not only we provide value and confidence um, to your patients, but the data we're collecting because moms want to talk to us. They're in the grocery store with their, you know, WIC money or figuring out what type of rice to buy and they're messaging with our families. And so that that data and healthcare transformation that we can be providing to then increase the reimbursement rates for preventative care is kind of where we come in. And so we're changing the system not only for access, but being like, how do we prove to payers or the insurance company or the larger system preventative care is worth it, even though right now a clinic room, they get more reimbursement by providing insulin or medication um, mm. education versus having a dietitian sit in there. And so there's kind of this, this cycle being like, we have to break the sick care and change the thoughts, not only on access, but how to change the reimbursement rates. So it's, it's an uphill battle. We have, <laughs> you know, we have our armor on, we're going in, but we're we're trying to be really smart about it because like I said, everybody wants to save moms and babies. Everybody eats, everybody wants to be healthy, but it's not a simple solution. Um, and so, you know, we're coming at it from, from all sides. So it just clicked with me and this will tell you how slow my brain is that you guys are really battling big pharma. Yeah, you could say that in some way. You could definitely say that. <laughs> I don't know. Do you want me to edit this like, out? I don't like, know. Should we should we admit that? <laughs> I'm just thinking so <clears throat> I'm I'm thinking from the perspective of preventative care versus sick care. Like mm-hmm. you said, the reimbursement rate for a room dedicated to insulin education versus a registered dietitian who is doing preventative care and education is very skewed. And I don't think that's an accident. Yeah. And I mean, I think the thing is, you know, there is always going to be a need for, you know, for medicines, for antibiotics, mm-hmm. for interventions, kind of along those lines. But, you know, what we would like to do is just kind of flip that on its head. So, you know, that can be a part of the care, but let's let's take the whole individual into account. Mm-hmm. Let's try to put mm-hmm. some preventative actions in place, some preventative interventions in place. So that is kind of a, I don't even want to say necessarily last resort measure, but that is 
involved with kind of a more holistic approach uh, to care because a lot of times it's Mm -hmm. just, okay, here's your insulin, like, you know, send you off into the ether, like no real nutrition education or support or care or whatever. And it's like, well, that's, that's just putting a bandaid on the, on the problem. Mm -hmm. That's not solving it, but we can, I mean, we can save this country so much money if we just invested a little in preventative care is really what it comes down to. (laughs) Yeah. And the word preventative, I love that word, but it also sounds like what you guys are doing is empowered care because you're helping birthing people get in touch with their bodies, live in their bodies and really nourish their bodies and their babies in a way that maybe they haven't learned how to in the past. A hundred percent. I think, you know, when working with our patients, instilling a confidence in them to Mm. make informed choices, I think that's really what it comes down to. Because right now it's like people are getting their information from Instagram, from TikTok, and they use that as the foundation or basis for the choices that they're making. But it's like, this is coming from unreliable, uncredentialed sources. So we provide the evidence-based information, the guidance so that people can make conscious choices. And I think that is really the difference. Like you don't have to eat a certain way in order to achieve health. Health also looks very different for every single person on this planet. You know, there are people who are dealing with all sorts of, you know, medical challenges or feeding disorders or disordered eating. And all of these things need to be taken into consideration when looking at their diet, looking at their nutrition, looking at, you know, how they're, how they're fueling mm-hmm. themselves. So y'all know that here on the Body Confidence Podcast, we are firmly anti-diet and believe in health at every size. So for folks who are listening to this, I'm sure that I've already lost some listeners who are like, oh my God, we're going to be talking about nutrition during pregnancy or something. And they might hear registered dietitian and think diet. When you're talking about culturally competent care, can you tell me what does culturally competent care look like? What does that mean? And how is mother of fact and the services that you're providing different from a quote diet? And you know, diet is such a tricky word, right? It's like the South Beach diet versus like a diet is the things that I eat, right? So there's mm-hmm. <laughs> here in health and wellness, we love to just conflate lots of terms. So that that's my <laughs> offering of a question to you guys. Take it for and run with it. Yeah. Okay. So really good question. So first, you know, kind of addressing the the whole diet perception associated with, you know, being a registered dietitian. So mother of fact, as a company and as a brand, you know, we are totally aligned with non-diet approaches to care. You know, I have a personal non-diet philosophy because, you know, as we've mentioned throughout this entire conversation, health and nutrition are complex. Now, I'm not going to lie to you because, you know, not all dietitians share that same outlook. So I think it's extremely important to find a dietitian or other nutrition professional or just medical professional in general who can support you in your goals and in meeting your needs, whatever that may mean, right? Like, you know, we kind of touch on this for some people, a diet can be 
medically necessary, but I think it's important to find a dietitian who really understands the nuance when it comes to health and nutrition and who considers your unique situation and, you know, all of the accompanying factors that we've mentioned, you know, several times during this conversation, food access, work-life balance, family structure, healthcare access, you know, physical activity, all of all of the things essentially, and culture, cultural preferences, that also plays a role. Now, I think in, you know, standard nutrition practice in the healthcare setting is Emily mentioned this earlier, Here's a handout on gestational Mm -hmm. diabetes. Here's a handout on type 2 diabetes, like very blanket recommendations, general nutrition care, like, okay, prioritize animal-based proteins, but I'm a vegetarian. (laughs) Like, so so what Mm -hmm. do I do now? You know, meat is not a part of my culture. So what are my options? Oh, we don't have a handout on that. Sorry, can't help you. <laughs> so, or, you know, this, this type of food, you know, you're, you're recommending I eat kale, but that's not something that is native to my culture. Can I eat collard greens instead? No, collard greens are unhealthy. Well, no, they're not. <laughs> that's untrue. However, you know, the Western depiction of wellness, Mm -hmm. it does not include cultures that are not, you know, westernized, Americanized. And often, you know, those cultural foods are looked down upon and are viewed as unhealthy. So I think it's important that dietitians who are delivering nutrition care can communicate and convey to these individuals, like, you don't have to abandon your cultural foods to achieve health, to achieve wellness. Your cultural foods still have a place, a very important, significant place in your life, in your diet. But, you know, in standard practice, they're just like, oh, eat these, you know, very Western, Westernly influenced foods and get rid of all the things that, you know, matter to your culture and that you're familiar with. Um, So I think that's... So you're not taking away anyone's tortillas. Oh, hell no. Absolutely not. You know what I mean? Like that, I I think about the Latina nutritionist, who's one of my favorite followers on Instagram. Yeah, I love her. Um, Yeah. And so you're not coming for anyone's cultural things. No, absolutely not. And then you're also, like you said, are you vegetarian? You're taking into these these considerations to, mm-hmm. to give people and recognizing that, that food is both nourishing our mind and our body and our soul, mm-hmm. right? That it's like this whole thing that we need to be happy, that that happiness is part of eating. Yeah, absolutely. Like she, the um, Latina dietitian, uh, wait, what is her, what is her handle? Oh my gosh. Delina. Your Latina nutritionist, your dot Latina dot nutritionist. Yes, yes. Delina um, Soto. Delina, your Latina nutritionist, she always talks about white rice. She has a white rice stand. Same Z's. Like, you don't need to give up white rice. You don't need to commit to only eating brown rice and quinoa in order to achieve health. And I think that's one thing that is really special about Mother Effect. We take the time Mm -hmm. to understand that about the individuals that we are working with. And we are open and we are practicing with cultural humility. So even if um, I'm working with a patient and I may not 
understand their cultural preferences or their cultural foods, I'm going to say, well, tell me about these foods, you know, tell me about what's in that stew. Tell me about, you know, the the paneer, like, tell me about how you eat it, what other foods it's accompanied with. So even if I don't know, I'm going to learn. And we're going to work on this together. And it's going to be a collaborative effort. I'm not going to tell you, you know, to, to cut dates out of your diet if you are from you know a middle eastern country where that is just a part of your culture and a part of you know what your your regular intake like that's that's crazy that doesn't make any sense emily i saw you oh yeah and I, i'll just round out i feel i feel like yeah i feel like we've been shooting on the health <laughs> healthcare system this entire time but what we're also finding out is OBGYNs and midwives and prenatal care providers want to empower through nutrition 90 percent of them were like we know nutrition is important we just have our hands tied and not only that they want to refer to dietitians but after they refer to dietitians they want to make sure the care is culturally appropriate and to be honest because of their accessibility to a wide range of dietitians or any dietitians at all they're not getting that feedback they're not learning on to how to empower their families with with nutrition. And so that's something that we're picking up on too. Like not only do they want to have to refer, we also need to make sure we're getting that information back to them being like, guess what? You know, in New Mexico, our moms met with us 25 times throughout their, their length of their pregnancy and they felt extremely confident in how they were eating. And then we tie that back to the outcomes because like I said, it has to kind of be tied back to that big picture for us to unfortunately prove or fortunately prove our value um, as we move forward. Yeah, that continuity of care piece is like really important. And that feedback loop of information, the provider refers to us, you know, we're communicating with the provider, because that's really what's going to kind of influence or impact the outcomes at the end of the day. That makes so much sense. And I love thank you for bringing that stat in about providers want to help. Providers are there. I think about teachers in this respect as well. Teachers who are, you know, potentially sharing nutrition advice that is not the greatest, but it's what they have access to. And so that seems like it goes, that's a big part of the education that you guys are doing as well is talking to them about this and then, you know, getting your foot in the door. So as we reach the end of this, and you have taught me so much, as well as I think everybody who might be listening to this, we love to support people doing incredible things. So what can, what, what tips can you leave us with as potential birthing people? And what can folks do to support your mission and your business? Yeah, thank you. I think if you are receiving prenatal or fertility care or thinking about it, or we're hearing from some young women being like, I'm not even thinking about giving, getting pregnant yet, but I really appreciate my body mm. and I want to learn how to support that so I can have the best chance possible when it comes to it. So don't be afraid to ask those questions to your care provider and ask really direct questions. And if you don't get the answer that you get, say, where can mm. I find this information? If you don't know where I can get it, please help me find it because Voicing that is the only way we are going to see change and and you know increase um, how important it is not only for the health of mom but health of baby and empowering ourselves as as birthing people. So 
as of right now, you can find our app on the App Store, Android, or iOS, but you cannot access us. And I apologize for that, but that is completely on purpose because I think we mentioned before, families should not have to pay for this. We should be in your medical care fertility, prenatal care, postpartum journey within your medical home. And so we are partnering with healthcare organizations. So if you're interested in what we're doing, feel free to drop our name. <laughs> if you work for an organization that empowers moms and babies, we love having conversations with you. Even if you're another nutritionist, dietitian, doula, we're all in this together. We all are trying to do this work to move health of mom and, moms and babies forward. So please feel free to reach out. But voices are key right now in any of this. So you can find us at Mother of Fact app on Instagram. That's where we have kind of user, so mom, baby, family empowerment information. I'm very active on LinkedIn, Emily Sylvester, and Mother of Fact is now doing some more articles on LinkedIn as well to help voice the problems and the need for attention in maternal care related to nutrition and, and other, you know, equality issues within maternal care. And we are at mothereffect.com. That's amazing. Throughout this, you've been talking about the role of mother of fact in building confidence throughout the preconception, pregnancy, postpartum period. And bringing it back around to maternal death rates and advocacy, it seems like that could be world-changing, that as you're getting more people into their bodies, they are going to be able to advocate for themselves more. And the way that you guys are presenting the app is going to be so educational for so many people who are working with birthing people. I think that what y'all are doing is incredible. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. I cannot wait to get this episode out into the world. Amazing. Thanks, Michelle. This has been great. Let's talk about getting you onto the Mother of Fact app. I know that this is not going to be for everyone. I, for one, would not have been able to access nutritional guidance in any form during my pregnancy with my first daughter in a balanced way that centered my mental health. And in fact, I was working weekly with an eating disorder therapist at that time to make sure that I was using coping skills that were not my eating disorder to manage basically everything. But this pregnancy, I'm in a totally different place. I had a great experience during my telehealth appointment with my mother of fact registered dietitian and got tailored nutrition advice based on specific concerns that have come up during my pregnancy as well as the trimester that I'm in. I'm obviously not going to share what those recommendations are because they're 100% based on my circumstances. So you want to get on the app. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to head to the link in the show notes, and this is going to take you to mother of facts, HIPAA compliant website where you're going to schedule your appointment. Mother of Fact is offering one one-hour telehealth video appointment followed by two-way text communication with their registered dietitians for three months. This is for you if you are looking for nutritional support during preconception, pregnancy, postpartum, or breastfeeding. If you have any questions, let me know via foodbodiesfamilies at gmail.com or reach out on Instagram. 
If you liked this episode of the Body Competence Podcast, please give this podcast a five-star rating wherever you listen and consider writing a review on Apple Podcasts. Your rating and review will ensure that you never miss an episode, will help others find this community, and will help me find a sponsor to ensure the longevity of the Body Competence Podcast mission. Come hang out at Food Bodies Families on Instagram until next week's episode. Thank you.